The reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, and it's verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I'll Amen. pass back to Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Um, may God's name be blessed through the public reading of his words. Amen. So, why have I chosen this passage today um, and I've been thinking about this all week and it's been my motivation for this has been just to encourage us and just to remind us of who we are in God and what he has gifted us with and how can we continue to grow in our love for him to grow in our love for one another because actually that's that's one of the reasons why, why why paul is writing this letter to the ephesians because he's having to give them a great picture of who the church is and what god has called the church to be and the aim is maturity that we grow each and every day towards our christ likeness so i've chosen this passage because it's something that is really close to my heart, this idea of us re-captivating what the church could do during this time. How do we respond to our worship of God during COVID? And, and what, is, what is the encouragement that we get from God's word for that? So before um, I continue with some more information, and some more teaching, I'd like us to pray. So Father God, would you take this ancient word 
and make it vivid and tangible for us today. We are so thankful that we are able to read, to listen, to hear your word in a language that we all understand. But we want more than that, Lord. We want for your word to give us life today. Because you are a life-giving God. So would you help us to concentrate to your, on, on your word and to dwell on it? And would you help us, Lord, also to take on board things that you want us to do? So in response, we continue our life of faithfulness and worship to you. So, Lord, help me with clarity in my delivery of what you've put into my heart. Help me, Lord, to articulate well and help us all, Lord, to be obedient to what you have called us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Ephesians 4, it's an amazing passage. We have visited several times and uh, even Ephesians 3 is very famous. The whole book of Ephesians is a good manual book for the church. And uh, before we, we, we carry on uh, expanding a little bit what's going on in Ephesians 4, I wanted to start with that big famous verse of Ephesians chapter 3, because I think that's, that's the stepping stone for what Paul is about to, to say. That's the, the shifting of gears. So Paul has basically spent the first three chapters of the letter discussing God's creation of this holy community, the church, his gift of grace in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the, the members of this holy community called church have been chosen by God through the work of Christ, adopted as sons and daughters of God, and brought near to the Father through faith in his Son. And all the people with this kind of faith who have drawn into the Father through the Son, regardless whether Jew or Greek, whether Jew or Roman, the New Testament uses the words Jew or Gentile, regardless of that, all have to come equal before the cross of Christ. And they have to be, have their sins forgiven and be made alive because Jesus' work on the cross is complete. So the first three chapters are the doctrine. Now, Paul in chapter 4 shifts gears and he wants to make this doctrine um, practical. So here we go with 320 when he says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever. And that means us. That means our generation. That means the people who are alive in this world, in this city, in this, uh, in this neighborhood, and are a part of Cairns Road. It means us. 
And, Christ, and, and Paul says, and glory be to, Christ, to, to Father God through his church in all generations, including us. Glory in the church. And then he is going to start off with saying, well, if this is, if this is the main thing, the glory of God in the church, now as a prisoner, so Paul was in prison for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And how do you live this life? And he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So glory in the church through the all generations. And then he, he goes on by saying, you live a life worthy. I think I've preached on this passage maybe two years ago. And the word that is used for worthy there is axios, which is basically meaning that it's, it's bang on in the middle, worthy of, of, of the Lord. And, and we're not going to spend time on that walking bit of this. What we're going to spend time is, what does this look like? So what is it that is going on in Ephesus? What is it going on in the life of the people there? And why is Paul um, encouraging the church to be doing these things? So let's, let's, let's have a think a little bit about the, the things that he is kind of urging them to think about it. So he's saying, be humble, be gentle, be patient. And if we were going to take the context in which this letter was written, these three things were not the characteristics of the Greco-Roman world. They were not. Because actually, humility was only a mark of a slave. If you were a slave, you were expected to be humble. The rest was full of ego. I mean, the Greek thought in itself is full of ego. Then it talks about gentleness. And again, in the, the Greco-Roman world, gentleness is considered to be a weakness. And then patience. Now, the, 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 there are two words that are used in Greek for, for patience, but here is the makrothumia, which means that there is this kind of um, long suffering, this bearing with, this, this continuation of endurance, where actually what's going on in the Greek world is that there was no tolerance for insult or injury. There was no tolerance. So in one sense, Christ has come into the world. He, in his economy, has appointed the church to continue to be the bearer of the good news. And these behaviors need to change as a result of Christ's work. 
And that's why Paul is saying that, yes, you see it in the marketplace that people are proud, they are full of themselves, and they're harsh, and they are totally impatient because, you know, it's not possible to, to survive. But no, the model that Christ is going to use the church with is that he is wanting us to celebrate, to embrace this new life. And it, part of it then is it features in humility. It features in gentleness. It features in patience. Patience. And why? Because of the glory of the Father in all the generations. And I, I wanted to pause there for a moment because I think perhaps we do see the same kind of traits in, in, in today's society. That perhaps to be humble, to be meek or gentle, to be patient, you can come across as a loser. This is countercultural. This is what the gospel is, is, is kind of helping us to embrace this countercultural thing. Why? Because Christ is at work in our lives. Why? Because with our lives, in response to this work of Christ, we want to respond by walking a life, walking and walk that is worthy of the name. Humility, gentleness, and patience. What does this look like in a quarantine, lockdown, post-quarantine, COVID church? We sang earlier on, come and fill this place with your glory. Come and captivate our gaze. Come and fill us with your fire that the world might know your name. And perhaps this is an opportunity for the church of God in the Western culture to be a little bit countercultural to the things that shock people. Perhaps as a church, what is the language that we're using? Even when we are involved in political conversation, when we're involved with things that really mean very much to us. What are the comments? What is the statements that we're making? Are they marked by humility? Are they marked by gentleness? Are they marked by that patience, that, that tolerance to insult and injure? Why is this important for the church? And what it's talking here is not just the, the local church, because this was a letter that went around in different churches. What's talking here about is it's, it's the big church. It's the, 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 the universal church as well. And it says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Um, 
There's a phrase in English, bear with, bear with, bear with. Wait, 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 wait. I think Miranda Hart says that, bear with, bear with, bear with. Now, this is that sense of the long suffering, the sense of carrying on, bearing with one another, with love. Why? For the sake of the glory of the Father God. And then the other thing is that, as I said, we're not going to have a lot of time to expand the whole 16 verses, so I'm going to be focusing on it in the first six. Um, but it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is another version that says, maintain the unity of the Spirit. And that's the idea, that actually, whenever we talk about unity, my perception is that actually my endeavor or what I'm doing is actually trying to create this unity. And what Paul is saying here in the scriptures is that actually this unity is already a given. It's of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to create it. What you and I do towards this unity is we try to maintain it. We look to, to find ways to keep the unity of the bond of peace. And for the church in Ephesus, this was very important because in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul has just spoken about how all, as I said earlier on, the Jews and the Gentiles have become one in Christ. This is phenomenal. This is what the gospel is bringing new to this kind of movement that becomes the church of God, that the Jews and the Gentiles have become one because of what Jesus has done. So, so Paul is then saying, well, then you and I, wherever we come from, we've become one in Christ. We work towards maintaining this unity, which is a given. It's of the Spirit. Holy Spirit has made that unity possible. How and why is this important? Well, because Paul says, well, actually, there is one body of Christ. There is one spirit, just as you were called. There is one hope that you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if you read this, even for the first time, or for the how many times you've read this passage, it's very clear that there is one word there that keeps repeating himself, and it's the word one. And there's seven things there that are kind of, uh, seven, seven things that, 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 that become then the, this, this base. One body, all believers, one spirit. If we look at 2.22, um, it talks about, you know, in him you are two being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he has already established that. Then is one hope. One hope. That hope that Peter talks about in Christ. It's one Lord. Christ is the head of the church. One faith. 
that that statement that we all come to, to, to the Father God through Jesus Christ. One baptism. That, that idea that when we come to God, we identify with Christ's death and the resurrection. And then one God Father. This is the relationship that is established. And if you can see there, the way Paul is listing them, he's talking about the Trinity here. He speaks about the Spirit, and then about the Son, and then about the Father. And the reason why he's, I think, the reason why he's talking about the Trinity in this way is that he has just established the rationale where the Spirit is with this unity, and he carries on with the thoughts. And the Holy Spirit is a most recent thing for the church as well. So therefore, he'll start with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then is Jesus, and then is the Father. But the most kind of establishing thing in all these this whole seven statements is that actually this one body has got a living relationship with God the Father. I mean, this, this is... For me, I, I've dwelled on this passage the whole week. I could not get away from this. This is amazing. This is amazing. That Paul is able to write from prison. He's in prison because he has preached the gospel. Because if he did not preach the gospel, he would have been somewhere else. If he would have not encountered the gospel himself, he would have been carrying on as a Pharisee. No problem at all. But he's in prison because of the Lord Jesus. And it's amazing how Paul speaks of that dire situation and urges and presses on to encourage the people there in Ephesus about humility and gentleness and patience. This is the work of the gospel that happened in Paul's life. If you see the soul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, those qualities were not there. And now because he has encountered the gospel himself and he knows that the church can encounter this magnificent relationship with the Heavenly Father, he says, yes, humility, gentleness, patience, because the theological basis from which this unity arises is integral to the Holy Spirit, to the Son, and to the Father. Each of us, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that's where I want to stop. Because if the encouragement for us today is to remember what Christ is doing still in our generation, if we are to be reminded that actually as a church of God in this COVID time, we want to live lives that are countercultural, that are marked by things that make no sense to the society around us. But they are part of the plan of the glory of God to be displayed throughout all generations. 
then the, my encouragement to you today is that if we have encountered these things, if we have seen the gospel to be at work in our lives, then of course our longing and desire is to give that glory to God. I wanted to encourage you today to be thinking a little bit about this, this opportunity that we have during this time. To have our lives, our language, our behaviours, our attitudes to things that are marked by the gospel. Because this world needs a lot of hope. And we started the, the, the service today by declaring that our hope is in God. And if our hope is in God, and we believe that, then we would be in a way available to extend that hope into the situations that look really hopeless. Let's not lose sight that we are the body of Christ who is encouraging us to live in unity because of the Holy Spirit. Let's not lose sight of our hope regarding the future. Let's not lose sight of who Christ is, that he's the head of the church. And let's not lose sight of our faith that we have in him. Because our faith has never been void or in vain. You have trusted and you have believed a father, a heavenly father, who cares and loves you and wants you to be in the center of his attention and will. I want to finish with that phrase that we sang as part of the song, come and fill this place with your glory. The great I am is calling us to be humble, gentle and patience. patient. The faithful one in all the ways is empowering us to live out our lives for his glory. Our hope, that Ephesians say here as well, our hope to which we were called is set on him. As a church of God, we have got a great opportunity today and in the coming days. Let's go and live our lives. Let's go continuing to worship God. I really want to encourage you and bless you today with that. Let's pray and then Jenny's going to finish uh, with, with a song. So here we are, Father God. We don't understand the mystery of the church. And yet we are challenged today to live our lives counterculturally in the settings that you have called us
as individuals, but in the setting that you have called us as, as a corporate group of people. And we want to say, Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to say that we trust you. Lord, we want to say that our hope is in you, our Lord, our faith is in you. We are so pleased and so blessed to have this relationship with you. And as you have challenged us from your words about those three marks of our lives, Lord, I pray that we will be on track with that life that is worthy of your name. Come and help us, Lord, with our humility, with our gentleness and patience, that although they may come across as countercultural, they are right on track with our walk with you. Holy Spirit, thank you for the gift of unity. Give us help to maintain it. In Jesus' name, amen.